Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy online invoicing service that gets you paid quickly and makes you look professional. Get started with a free package at FreshBooks.com. That's FreshBooks.com. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial, go to Squarespace.com slash TWIP. This week on TWIP, are Carl Zeiss lenses really better? Sony opens the e-mount kimono and Juan Pons and Rick Salmon of the Digital Photography Experience join the fray. It's Saturday, February 19th, 2011, and this is TWIP. And welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on the show are Mr. Alex Lindsay, Juan Pons, and Rick Salmon. Hey, guys. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Well, who's that laughing, Rick? That was yes, you, wasn't of course. It? Who are you laughing at? <laughs> well, you, 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 you always make it so much fun. So and I'm ready for fun. Learning and fun. This is, yeah. you know, learning should be fun. You know, learning is fundamental. Yeah. What I find funny is, you know, uh, 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 Frederick's voice is almost like the voice of God. You know, that guy that does all those commercials? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, in a world where... Oh, no. In a world. There there you go. Look at that. (laughs) Yeah, that's my morning voice. That's why you have to record early. As the day progresses, the the pitch gets higher and higher. So So cool. So, um, Alex, you're on the show. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. And on that, see, listen to Alex's voice. You talk about my voice. Alex has, Alex has the uh, the uh, what is it? The Old Spice voice. <laughs> I'm on a horse. The new Old Spice or the old Old Spice? No, the new Old Spice. The new Old Spice. Oh, okay, good. good. Yeah, Alex has that voice. <laughs> and Mr. Pons, uh, you're an unfamiliar voice on this show, but a familiar voice on Digital Photo Experience. Correct? You want to give us a quick intro as to who you are and what your show's about? Sure. Uh, well, I'm, uh, my name is Juan Pons, as you mentioned. I'm uh, primarily a wildlife photographer, although I'm doing a lot and a lot, a lot more video lately. Right, Rick? Oh, uh, Rick and I, <laughs> Rick and I, are partners in crime and a lot of different things, including uh, Digital Photo Experience, which is a great website with a lot of info and a bi-monthly podcast as well. Very cool. That's awesome. See, look at a nice self-contained intro. Now we know exactly who you are and what you do. That's great. Oh, yeah, and I practiced this 50 times before I got on the air. I'm just <laughs> you, kidding. You wrote it down. There's a little yellow sticky on the side of your display, right? That's right. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, welcome to the show. Before we before we kick things off, let's uh, give a quick nod to our sponsor. Alex, who's our who's our first sponsor? Our first sponsor is um, is FreshBooks, and uh, FreshBooks, for those of you who have just tuned in, we've been talking about them a little bit. is is just a great, easy way to do online invoicing. So you can make sure that you get you have something that looks professional. I mean, a lot of times, a lot of us are photographers or we're artists, and we're trying to figure out how we're going to, uh, you know, get those invoices out. And and uh, you know, it really is all about cash flow and uh, making sure that, that, that you actually get them out. And a lot of times we get delayed because it's hard or we can't make one that looks professional looking. 
All of that stuff can be handled with FreshBooks. So your clients can actually download a PDF for a little extra. You can actually send them an invoice via snail mail. You can even set up automated late reminders to make sure that they know without you having to actually send them an email. It just comes up from FreshBooks. Now, you can invoice by the hour. There's a time tracking feature that lets you log hours in if you want to. Your clients can even pay via PayPal and 11 other electronic payment services. So you know all this stuff is kind of wrapped up. And you can get it for free for up to three clients. Now, a lot of us, when we're getting started, I mean, you know, that, that would have lasted me for like five years. I know, so, I know. you know, I was like, you know, it's always, I mean, it wasn't always the same three clients, but it was, uh, I only had three clients at a time. Sometimes I only had two or one and, well, sometimes I didn't have any clients at all. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. so, so I was anyway, going to put so, that in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so anyway, uh, so but when you're getting started and you just want to, you know, you want things to look professional, you want things to be managed, uh, you want to make it easier. We, we've been thinking about from the Pixel Course perspective, we work with usually on, on at any one time we're working with 30 or 40 uh, different um, uh, freelancers and around the world. And we've been, we're, there's a, there's talk going on about, uh, enforcing a rule that everybody has to use FreshBooks. <laughs> it's just kind of like that's a great idea because we get all these invoices and they're all formatted differently and they all look different. And there's all different ways of handling it, and we're just like, oh, we just need everyone to centralize. So, um, so we're there's a we're kind of moving towards this, and and we started talking about this in the office about formatting that. And so, uh, John Riley, who's actually one of the producers, um, you know, for this show, uh, he actually um, you know, signed up for FreshBooks, and he won a birthday cake. He won. Oh. <laughs> he even called them. He even called them and said, "He said, you know, I I produced the sh- a show that you advertise on. And I he signed up for himself. You know, it wasn't for for us. He signed up for himself. He, he'd been listening to our our things and and uh, he won. And they it shows up. It, so what happens is is they're giving away a cake every uh, every week, every day. And so uh, if it turns out that, and, and just in case you wonder whether we were uh, making it up, the answer is no, no, we're not. I, I had some of the cake. It was pretty good um, on, uh, on Friday. <laughs> so you can't have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. oh, man. So, oh, so I want to know where God. my cake is. I've been using FreshBooks for about six months. I never got my own my cake. Well, you, you know, it's, it's just by luck. You know, it's not, they're not giving uh, everybody a cake. Yeah. Yeah, they, oh, no, that you would burst be, my that, bubble right there. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things. So, but they are they're picking someone every day to do that, and um, you can go up to freshbooks.com and sign up uh, for a free account. Now, you can just make sure that to let them know that Twip sent you T W I P. Uh, make sure that they know that Twip sent you, and uh, so we get our our dibs on uh, on letting them know that we're spreading the good word because it's it really is just such a great service. Uh, if you're getting started, this is just so key. It is really not about how much you make it's when you make it and uh, i mean i can tell you it's just cash flow is everything and so and getting this out of the way and making sure that it's happening quickly it's key to the operation so freshbooks.com get sign up there and get a chance to win a, a free birthday cake mm, it was yummy hey alan <laughs> speaking of getting started i have a joke relating to this and it's about freelancers and getting started and uh-huh. here's a joke a freelancer spends 50 percent of his or her time looking for work, 25% of their time trying to get paid, so this will make it easier, and actually only only 25% of the time actually shooting. So all you freelance photographers or wannabe photographers out there, this is really what it's like in the beginning, right? You've got to spend a lot of time looking for work. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and, well, and also it's just a matter of and once you get it, you want, to, you want to make sure that everyone feels like you actually know what you're doing. That's you right. Know? So sending them these. I mean, and, I, man, I've I got to tell you, I see these invoices come from, there are different freelancers and I don't want to be too disparaging, you know, because some of them listen to the show, but you just like, you look at the invoice and you're like, really? 
Really? You know, so so uh, it's like it's like typed on like just yeah. like different fonts and yeah. <laughs> you're just kind of like, come on, like let's just let's just I'm gonna move you over to FreshBooks and then everything will look pretty. And it's not like it has to be pretty, but it, it really does make a difference. Yeah. People make decisions about what about who you are when you send that invoice out. And, and that FreshBooks website is so easy to use. I mean, I yeah. I used to hate sending out invoices because it was such a short chore. Now it's like two seconds and I'm done. It, and yeah. it goes out via email and I know when they receive it, if they actually read the email, with yeah. the invoice when they get it. So it's pretty useful. Hey, Juan, yeah. have, so you've been using them for a while. The the one thing about the FreshBooks sort of value proposition was that they, they do the automatic reminders right. to your client. So you don't have to like, oh... So and so did not pay yet. I need to, you know, put on my mean hat and write a mean email. They they kind of handle that for you, right? Right. Or you can do it yourself. I luckily, I don't know why I've been so lucky, but the past six months as I've started using FreshBook, all my clients have paid on time, so I can't really <laughs> complain. I haven't had to use that feature yet, but I know you can. I wish I had that feature about a year ago when I was hounding somebody for about six months to pay to pay me. Uh, all right, thanks, guys. Let's uh, let's move on. The first story, <laughs> the first story that we want to talk about. This is this is actually a really good story that I wanted to bring up to this crowd in particular because uh, you two, Rick and uh, Juan, are you know you guys are out there shooting with the long lenses, doing the wildlife stuff all the time. So mm-hmm. DxO, the company that's known for testing. You know, in coming out with these sort of benchmarks of of hardware like lenses, have basically come out saying that um, the Carl Zeiss lenses aren't necessarily better than any of the other lenses. And I want to get your your thoughts on that. Do you think this is? First of all, you know, I, I see the Carl Zeiss brand on things. I'm like, oh yeah, it must be good. Is it just that? I've been ingrained with that. You know? well, or, I, I, hate to state, I hate to state the obvious, but more expensive does not necessarily mean yeah. better. Right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> we harp on that all the time. Yeah. Right. And the same thing applies to lenses as to anything else, you know, from any manufacturer. Just the price itself doesn't mean anything. You know, I have some lower end lenses that cost a lot less that are sometimes sharper than some of the, you know, much more expensive lenses, even within the same brand. So, you know, just well, because think- it has a stamp on it doesn't mean that it's going to be sharp. Yeah, I mean, I think that we, uh, you know, we did some tests with the Canon um, 50 millimeter in the 1.4 and the 1.2, and we were actually left liking the image, imaging that we were getting out of the 1.4 better mm-hmm. than the 1.2 for whatever, one quarter of the price. Huh. We like it. Now, of course, we didn't like the 1.8 as much, you know, as the 1.4. Right. It's, it's a fair right. bit softer, but the 1.4 seemed to be actually the sharp, the sharp lens of the bunch. Yeah, it's definitely the, the, the uh, best bang for the buck. The 1.2 is beautiful lens. It's humongous and super heavy actually weighs more than the camera itself yeah in most cases yeah yeah so i mean we had a we had a discussion gee several shows ago uh, when i brought up we it, basically the show was about third-party lenses versus the manufacturer lenses mm-hmm. um and yeah you know, what what it came down to and actually sigma we, we we've i referred to sigma in particular We've been trying to get them on the show. They'll they'll come on the show shortly, but um, they sent some lenses over to test. And I got to say, the build quality, the feel, all that stuff of the lens, and even the sharpness of these lenses compared to my Nikon lenses, it was it was good. I mean, these are they felt like a substantial replacement for a Nikon lens. However, in talking with Josh uh, Norum of Borrow Lenses, who you know, sort of filters these lenses in and out all the time. He said, yeah, they're, they're great, but what he's concerned about is just the longevity of these lenses. So yeah, I'll throw it out to you. Alex, you, you're, you're the one that bounces around the world all the time with gear. Things break, right? Have you 
third party lenses or yeah, so you know, I just talking about quality wise what's what are we looking at well so i have i have actually two sigma lenses so i have the um 24 to 70 and the 70 to 200 uh lenses and we chose to get those the 2.8s and we chose to get them just because we were you know at the time we we just didn't want to spend twice as much for the canon uh, version of the same uh, lenses and overall they're you know and, and i have to figure out whether we just need to calibrate them better or you know they just don't they don't feel as um as sharp you know as mm-hmm. as the we we've rented the canon lenses and my my brother has bought a couple of those and um and i i, I will say that i feel like the canon lenses are sharper than our sigma lenses um you know overall as far as the usability of them it's been totally fine yeah. um you know they they've worked just fine um I, I haven't felt as i said i just haven't felt the crispness um when i look at the images i just don't i feel like there's something missing that i can't quite put my you know it's it's like i you know it's hard to measure absolute sharpness and we haven't what we don't have right now in the office we have a lot of things to measure video sharpness we don't have a lot of things built in the office to measure Photo- uh, photographic sharpness is just which is just a different requirement and so we want to put these up in, in front of some of those charts um soon and uh, really measure that but when we're taking the photos um you know i just feel like when i have the canon on i, I the, the images do look a little bit a little bit sharper but that said uh for what we use them for which is primarily video to be honest with you mm-hmm. uh, you know for those lenses uh you know they've been they've been great <laughs> so you know it's so uh that's the you know um the I, I think that I'm probably a little bit more sensitive to it when we get back to the um, Zeiss and some of the more expensive lenses. I mean, we spend a lot of time shooting not with these lenses, but, you know, on RED cameras or, or our, our, some of our HD cameras with some very big pieces of glass. And um, you get really sensitive to really minor changes in sharpness. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's the thing that I'm most sensitive to uh, when I'm uh, when I'm shooting. So so that's been my, my experience. Um you know, I, I still think that they were a good buy for us because I think that, you know, I'm not sure whether now now that we're shooting a lot and we, we, we may get Canon lenses to, you know, do it. But as we got started, it just didn't financially make sense to spend $3,000 on lenses, you know, um, to do what we were doing. Right. And so um, so I'm, I'm really happy. I'm, I don't feel like it was a mistake. You you know, I feel like I got what I, you know, I got what I paid for. I think that the I said I think that it's a good lens. Uh, I don't think it's as great a lens as um as as a Canon option, but the Canon option is twice as much money. All right, nature nature photographers, um, you guys, Rick. Let's start with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Long lenses. What what's your preference in? I mean, when when you go out and you're going to drop, you know, yeah. several thousand dollars on a yeah. on a lens. What what do you do? Well, I my favorite wildlife uh, lens is a Canon 100 to 400 millimeter lens. Now that lens is like a lot of lenses <clears throat> is sharpest around f8, like that midpoint. So yeah. I'll, if I'm out shooting, I might actually change my ISO so I can, you know, because with these cameras today, you, you could shoot outside at ISO a thousand or even higher, and it's, you're not going to see any noise. And my father used to say anyway that if a picture's so boring, you notice a noise, it's a boring picture anyway. Uh, and if it has some noise, we could take it out in Photoshop and Lightroom. But I like to shoot, you know, if I, you know, if I want to tack sharp picture, you know, I'll shoot around there because that lens, of course, it's a little softer at, you know, at, at the four or five setting and like all lenses, F22. So I, I like that lens too. But the other thing about lenses, you know, <clears throat> before we came on the air here, we were joking. <laughs> Actually, you guys were joking <laughs> that that I'm like the oldest one on the show. You know, back in the fifties, the Zeiss lenses, everybody wanted fifties. Yes, Juan, they were the fifties. Not they the, were the fifties. Yes. Was that uh, was that eighteen or nineteen? That was the eighteen fifties, right? Actually, I was thinking. I told wow. someone. Someone said to me, I, I, you know, I introduced myself. Hi, I'm Rick Salmon. I figure when I'm ninety, I'm going to be saying, Hi, I used to be Rick Salmon. <laughs> 
<laughs> but <laughs> because I don't know what you know what I'll be doing then. But anyway, back in the fifties, uh, you know, everyone wanted Zeiss lenses. But today, you know, like I'm a Canon shooter. These lenses are computer designed. They're optically, you know, perfect. And one thing is, you know, I know people who have you know some off-brand lenses in their lens system. And I think what you want is you want consistent color throughout your entire uh, lens system. So, mm. you know, the coating makes a big difference. And whether or not a lens is sealed makes a big difference. So, yes, sharpness is very important. Very, as Alex was talking about, you know, he's very critical with the video. Um, you know, he's really checking the sharpness there, which is super important. And sure, we can, you know, change the color and, of course, the sharpness in the uh, in the digital darkroom. But, you know, the coating and if the lens is sealed is very important. And you mentioned uh, the mounts. You know, I actually, I was in Africa actually probably around 20 years ago, and I had an off-brand lens, and the mount came off the lens. So, mm-hmm. But we were bouncing around. You know, Alex, you've been there, right, with those washboard roads? Yeah, yeah. Right? You know what that's <laughs> like? Bang, bang, yeah. bang. Yeah, totally. So, so uh, yeah, so that's my uh, favorite lens. But I know Juan is a is a fixed focal length guy most of the hmm. time. Yeah, Juan. Juan, what do you what's what's in your bag right now, lens wise? Do you have any third party lenses floating around in there? You know, I used to have a number of them, but not not anymore. And um, uh, I'm all Canon lenses now. And there, well, I should say I have one Nikon lens um, that I use for uh, uh, astrophotography and some time lapse work. But I used to have th- third party lenses, Tamron, Sigma's, and whatnot. And my biggest pet peeve with them was also the consistency across the lenses. You'd buy one lens, let's say a 100 macro lens, and that lens may have been soft. You buy another one, and that one was super sharp. Mm. So the consistency across, um, you know, I think the quality control wasn't there or wasn't wasn't up to par. Um, so that was one thing that was driving me crazy. But also the durability of the lenses. That is one thing you know I mentioned earlier that just because it has a Zeiss badge on it doesn't mean that it's going to be a sharp lens. But having that badge, same thing with Canon or Nikon, one, is going to ha- tell you something. It's a lot of it about the construction of the lens, how durable it is. <clears throat> I, I basically all my lenses now are L uh, Canon lenses, which are you know the higher end lenses, super durable. You know you can almost hammer a nail with these things. I've had these things drop off the back of cars and things of that nature. Um, but you know there's some people out there that love the big Sigma Sigmaster is what they call it, right? Oh, the 300 to 800 f 5.6 lens. <laughs> um, I haven't used one of those myself, so I can't really vouch for it. I use um, my my primary wildlife uh, photography lens is a uh, Canon 500 IS lens, which is fixed focal length at f4, and that is super super sharp. You know, and at that point, you're when you're spending seven thousand dollars in a lens, you know, and you're between a five thousand dollars or seven thousand dollar lens, you know what? I'm going to go for the $7,000 lens. The, dif- the price differential there is not as big, and I want that quality. I want a lens that's always going to perform that I'm not going to be second-guessing. So one, th- one thing that's a really good point here is that, and I, and I want to say when I've been sensitive, I don't have, I mean, I, we've been using a couple of the uh, Canon zoom lenses, but I have to admit that 90% of my shot shooting is done with fixed focal, which I think is part of why I'm also, when I put on a zoom lens, which are the two zoom lenses that I shoot a lot of, the Sigmas, you know, I, I think rarely do you end up with a zoom lens that is as sharp as the you know so so i think i think so i think that that's the other thing that i'm that you know i think maybe coloring my opinion is i'm usually shooting with a typically with a 28 or a or a 50 you know that's because i'm not shooting you know wildlife but i'm shooting around well let me let me put this out there so it sounds like we the the things to to pay attention for for the for the audience is the overall construction of the lens so build quality color sharpness 
but then one thing I haven't heard from from either, from either of you guys is focus speed or AF speed. Now, is there have you found that there's a difference? Hey, Rick, have you found that there's a difference between the autofocus speed on off-brand versus on-brand lenses? Well, I haven't used an off-brand lens in a long time, so you know, yeah. I'm not the guy to ask for that. But I'll, I will tell you this. I mean, I can't imagine it focusing any faster. Uh, it, it's perfect for me. And the, and the other thing is the sealing, as in like weather sealed. This is, I think I mentioned that before, but you know, people are like going through a list again what they should look for. You know, see, I was actually teaching a workshop in uh, South Beach, Miami. It was so human. I couldn't even believe it. Guy went outside. Lens fogged up inside. It took hours. It took more than six hours for that lens to, um, to you know, get rid of the humidity inside. You, you know, and that, and that has a lot to do with, yeah, the, the amount of glass, you know, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. that's there. We had a – we were shooting in the Seychelles where we were going in and out of um, the Seychelles, which are really, you know, humid and warm, and a refrigerating unit. And so, so, uh, so it was. <laughs> There's That's Alex for the disaster exactly. right there. Alex, no, the it, extremist, of course. Yeah, no, no, no. And it, and it was like, but it was, it was a, it was a packing plant. And so there was, so you literally were walking in and out of hot and humid to refrigeration, hot and humid to refrigeration. And yeah. the, the, um, you know, the we were shooting with video cameras at the time. I was shooting with my 5D though, and it, it would do a little bit of, um, you know, there'd be a little bit of an issue, but the. Uh, um, the, the, what was interesting, like the EX, which is the, the little video camera, which has just a cheap lens on it, um, uh, would fog up and stay fogged up for a long time. The $70,000, you know, zoom lens that we had <laughs> sitting on front of the, on the red would barely, you know, it'd fog up just a little bit and come back down again. And it's just the, the, hmm. the mass of that glass means that that temperature is going to change a lot slower and you're going to, you know, have a lot less effect by the, by the environment. Hey, Alex, you want to talk about the uh, the coconuts in Seychelles, what they look like? <laughs> no, I don't they... want to talk about that on the show. <laughs> no, <laughs> oh, come on. Now, what kind no, of cliffhanger okay, is that? Okay, so everyone will tell you, everyone yep. will tell you that, that the, uh, um, when you're in the Seychelles, they have, a, they have these coconuts, and yep. they say that they closely resemble uh, the lower <laughs> part of a woman's anatomy, and, um, and you don't believe them until you see it, and then you're just like, I can't. Then they're like, do you want to take one home? I'm like, no, I can't put that anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> just you know, it's like it's like it's. I don't care if it's it occurs in nature. I just you know, so I can't. No, I can't wow. even take pictures of it. So it was just like you know, it was just it was uh, it was it was very it's very very odd. All right, yep. so, there's, well, there's a lot of love in Seychelles. That's I, you know, uh, that's that's a job for Google, I think. All right, guys, let's let's move on to this next story. Um, this is about Sony. So they this is this is really interesting. Uh, Alex, in particular, I want to get your take on this. Um, so basically, Sony has released specs for the E-mount uh, for their lenses. So basically, third parties, as we've been talking about, can create a Sony or a lens that will attach to a Sony body. Um, is this is this where things should go? Or and and B is uh, is this like a sort of a desperation move on Sony's part? I don't think it's necessarily a desperation move. I think it's actually just really good um, thinking. <laughs> I think that uh, I, I think that more and more we need to look at what we, you know, manufacturers need to think about what they add to the puzzle and what they, and then let other people, you know, um, really build up for that. Really, uh, you know, providing kind of a more open market, I think, makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think that it allows a lot of other people to get involved and improve your what you're offering. You know, I don't think Sony is known for uh, their lenses. And I don't think that they, you know, I think that it's better for them to just allow other people who are known for their lenses to uh, easily um, develop for them. I don't, yeah, as I said, I don't think it's necessarily a desperation thing. I think that the, the, the stuff that they're coming out with is pretty profoundly, I mean, it's, it's really good stuff. I mean, Sony's got some really great chips. I mean, they're making chips for a lot of the main, 
you know, the, the Sony chips are being used in many, many cameras, not yeah. just the Sony cameras. That's the thing we have to remember. Um, right. So they're, they're doing a lot of a lot of that work. Um, the bodies are just part of what they do. Uh, lenses have not been, I don't think, the focus for Sony for, you know, for any at any point in time at, to the level that it has been for Canon or Nikon. So I think making it easy for third party developers just makes a lot of sense for them. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest concern here is though, the, ma- the uh, market fragmentation. You haven't seen, you've seen the development of at least three other mounts in the past, what, two or three years? Between four thirds, micro four thirds, now you have E mount. You know, to at what point are we going to have, you know, these third party manufacturers? How many mounts are they going to have to, going to be able to offer? Um, I don't think that you were going to see a lot of manufacturers jumping on the bandwagon on the E mount. Uh, unfortunately, it'd be nice to see that because some of the cameras that um, Sony's coming out with on the A mount, the Alpha system, is, they're pretty remarkable cameras. Um, but they're they're just not getting the attention that they probably deserve. Yeah, is this is this the way the industry needs to go? I mean, like looking forward well, to I think that, you know, well, I don't know, ten fifteen years, are we going to see more of a convergence of mounts, and maybe we'll have one mount? Just throwing that out there. I think you could theoretically have one mount other than Canon and Nikon. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. That, you, know that, that you, you know, it would make sense for just about everybody else to have a, um, you know, and I think it would make sense for Sony to take this, whether it's this mount or another mount, and really promote it as a let's figure out a way to, uh, you know, in some, in some ways, uh, open source or standardize the mounting system for many cameras because that way it's just easier to buy lenses and know that they're going to work on a lot of different things. Um, so I think that that would make sense for for uh, all the camera manufacturers except for Canon and Nikon because, of course, you know, what holds you to a camera system is the lenses. Hey, Juan, what, what would it take to, to make you switch from your c- current camera system to another camera system? Mm, that, that's a hard question because, I mean, <laughs> I, I have so much, mo- so much money invested into my entire system today yep. that even if I had someone like Nikon throw money at me to switch – you know the 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 whole idea of having to switch the equipment, learning all new configurations. Right now, I have sort of this muscle memory, mm-hmm. if you will, for the switches and controls on my camera lenses. I mean, I'd have to. It's almost like being born again, right? Yeah, that'd be baby steps. Yeah. So it, that would be. I think that that would be very hard. Um, you know, one thing to also keep in mind is who is publishing this 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 specification. This is Sony. Sony's not has not been known for being sort of very sharing in a lot of their specifications in the past. Um, you know, it, very recently, we can think of memory stick, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they've mm-hmm. pushed right. that as <laughs> much as they possibly can, and no one has picked up on it. Yep. In the consumer space, you have Betamax. I mean, I was a Betamax user for the longest time. I was one of the holdouts, but it just never took off. Um, so are we in the same boat here with the email? Are we talking about another memory stick? Mm. Um, you know, what I thought was interesting when I read the press release is that the first sentence of the press release, and, it, and, and this is crucial, it says, Sony Corporation announced today that it will disclose the basic specifications of its E-mount. <laughs> basic specifications. What does that mean? That means if you like the full specs, Annie up some dollars. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there we go. Yeah, interesting. Well, yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on that. That's that's really interesting. You're right, Juan. They, it, Sony has been notorious for for creating these just sort of hey this is this is Sony and been to our will. You remember way back in the in the MP3 when when MP3 oh, was just A-track. getting started, A track, yeah, 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 A track. Yeah. Right. I can't play this file on anything except for a phone, a Sony device. Yeah, so. yeah. And people people talk about uh, Apple having a non invented here syndrome. Sony is way worse in that respect. Yeah, yep. So, but hey, 
you know, we'll have to keep an eye on this. All right, let's move on. Story number three is a. Uh, this is funny. So yeah. a man was. <laughs> Okay, so basically a guy in Atlanta was trying to take pictures of uh, some police doing some activity in a public location, um, and he, the the police basically took his took his camera, I don't know if it was a camera phone or what, but he took his camera and deleted the images saying that he wasn't authorized to take those photos. So he's been awarded 40 grand um, in a lawsuit against the police for, ha- for them having wronged him. And, and he deserves every penny. I think he, del- he deserves I more. Yeah. Like, he deserves more. Yes. 40, it used to be 40 K for each photo that they deleted or something like that. Right. You know, that's insane. So hey, Alex, I know you're, you know, again, world traveler, you all, you, all you guys are, but Alex, you're, you're bouncing back and forth all the time. What, what's your take on this? What do you- well, I, I, I applaud him. You know, I, he's got more, more guts than I do. You know, it's, um, I don't, I tend not to, um, uh, I just tend to be careful where I'm taking photos. You know, if I'm just conscious of where police are and I'm conscious of where regulation is and if I can avoid it, I will. It's not like I just don't pick fights, you know, with that stuff. Now, I think that he was taking pictures of them uh, actually, I think, busting somebody, you know, it was during a police activity. And, yeah. and so, and so, I think that uh, in that case, I mean, he really is, you know, picking that fight. And if I and if I saw something really happening, of course, I would shoot it. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, if, if, if the if the police, I, I mean, if, if if the police were beating up on somebody, I would definitely turn my five uh, D to video mode and and uh, put it up on YouTube. So the um, uh, but uh, but in general, I I tend to be someone, especially when I'm not in the in the United States, um, I tend to be pretty careful about what I'm shooting and when I'm, and when I'm shooting it. Um, and it's not, you know, I, I really think that photographers have those rights and they should have those rights to, to, to do those things, but there's rights. And then there's also me catching my plane yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and not, not ending up in detention and not you know, ending up with all my gear. And I, I tend to be very like, I need to get work done. And so, um, I'll tend not to, you know, and I, and I work in countries that oftentimes are very sensitive to the press. And so, um, and so I have to, you know, and I, and they, you know, there's a lot of people in the government that are my friends and I'd like to keep them that way. So, yeah. so the, um, so I tend not to pick a lot of fights. I do think that people have to have that right to take those photos. I think it's, it's, it's imperative. I mean, it's why the first amendment is the first amendment <laughs> is that, is that a transparent, uh, country, uh, is, is a free country. And, and I think that the, the transparency that can't be stopped, which is what you're starting to see happening in, in the Middle East, is once that transparency opens up, there's a lot of things that happen very, very quickly. And, um, and so I think that it is important to have this stuff. And I think that this guy deserves every penny um, that he got. I, want, I will say that um, the average person out there should not assume that, that that's what's going to happen <laughs> and, mm-hmm, and should right. just be careful. You know, so if I don't want to... <laughs> If they want to go out and make forty thousand bucks, they'll take a picture of something and have the police delete their pictures, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and 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 I think the police need to, you know, I, I think a lot of times police are uh, ill-informed, and even the lawmakers who make who write these laws are ill-informed. And so I, I do applaud people who are willing to take that and push it down the path because I think there are some laws that have been cropping up about not being able to take pictures of police, and and not only are they not constitutional, they are directly opposed to why the First Amendment uh, exists. You know, say, for the government to say that you cannot take pictures of the government doing what it's doing, the reason the First Amendment exists is to, to allow the citizens to do that. You know, it's not, it, you know, all this other stuff. I mean, you know, it does not exist to protect porn. It does not exist to protect National Enquirer. It exists so that the public can, can report about what the government's doing, you know, to keep the government honest. That's why it exists. And so 
of anything that's protected and of anything that should be getting, um, you know, uh, this kind of response. It's what this guy did. And, um, you know, they, uh, now I will say that this is a really good argument for, um, uh, for Wi-Fi enabled phones. Mm. <laughs> and I, and, oh, I, yeah. and I, if you're taking one of these things, the other thing to think about is, uh, a Wi-Fi connected to a MiFi is an awesome little pair because you're firing photos off and they're uploading to the internet. Um, immediately and i have been in positions where i've shot video i was shooting video at a at an event that turns out i wasn't allowed to shoot video in and they came <laughs> they, and they uh they came to take my uh they came to take my camera <laughs> they said uh we need to take I was, it was uploading live uh it was you know i got live view box a back backpack and so it's uploading yeah, yeah. and they said we need to take your your videotapes and i was like there are no videotapes and and he's like and he's like well where the video where's the video going i was like to the internet and he looks at me and he's like he's like um so uh uh how wh- how long is the how how long is the delay? And I said about twenty seconds. Oh, so, yeah. so um, so the uh, so anyway, the, that is the ultimate defense. If you're going to be doing this stuff, you really want to take. If you're going to do this yeah. and you're really serious about it, your ultimate defense behind all of this is um, you know, streaming straight to the web. You know, and and, and there are many tools. Uh, there's many cameras that are starting to be Wi-Fi enabled. Um, there's many you know video options that are picking up. You're going to have a lot more options uh, with um, LTE. I saw some examples of that that are frightening yeah. and um and so you know that that you know if you really are going to take this this kind of thing on like a cop watch and you don't want to end up in this situation um you know you, it diffuses the whole situation when there's nothing to be done yeah you know, it's, rick, it's already rick, gone rick have you yeah. ever been in in a situation where you know it was questionable yeah. with with the authorities or anything like this no but i was on the brooklyn last time i was on the brooklyn bridge where a million young couples or a million couples are photographing each other having fun there's a sign no photography <laughs> Believe it or not, there's a sign, no photography because of terrorists or whatever. They don't want the pictures to go up wherever. You know, this is like, this is crazy to me. But in a situation like that, you know, if a cop comes up to you and points to the sign, no pictures, you know, what, what do you do? But I think you really have to, or we have to really be uh, <clears throat> careful in thinking about this because there are places where you, I think you know you shouldn't take pictures. Uh, you know, like when you come out of the... Um, Customs, right, or immigrations. When you get in your baggage, no cell phones, no pictures, whatever. So yeah. I, I'm very aware of where I should and should not be uh, taking pictures. But I've I've never had, had a problem. Yeah. What about you, Juan? Have you ever have you ever had a problem with the authorities? No, I guess I'm I'm like Alex. I'm very careful as to where, and I'm aware of my environment. Make sure I, I, I never want to get into any trouble myself. I love seeing other people get into trouble, but I don't want to like, get into trouble myself. <laughs> and you like to photograph other people getting into trouble, right? Absolutely, no question about it. But you know, someone mentioned earlier that they wish they had gotten more money for for um, uh, uh, as a result of this uh, uh, problem that with was police. Me. Yeah, and I think they should have gotten a lot more than that because mm-hmm. it would send a clear message across the country. All these yeah. ill-informed uh, 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 police officers or – I mean it's not just police officers, right? It's like security guards in New York City. You hear stories about you know, that happening outside of buildings and whatnot. Um, and I think a message needs to be sent out. People need to know that this is not a crime. You know, This is not a crime to actually go out and shoot pictures out in public. But um, no, but I myself, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I have not uh, gotten into trouble like that. But, you know, this story reminds me of that, uh, the one that went around last week, or the guy in Flickr that lost um, yep. like five years worth of images. Yes, yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, pretty interesting. And, and Flickr initially wanted to, said, well, we're sorry, we'll give you four years worth of a pro account, which is about $100 <laughs> worth. 
thank you, but no thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, but now they came back and they finally restored all his images and they gave him a pearl count through 2035. Good. Very so, good. Very good. Yeah, but I will say keeping all your images on um, a, a cloud uh, it, having it as a backup oh, yeah. on the cloud makes yeah, a lot got of it. sense, but the, you can't really say that they lost. <laughs> that was just a certain level of um, what were you thinking? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. 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 So, I, I think so, it was mostly concerned about the, the 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 social aspect of the images, the threads, the comments, all mm. that stuff. Not so much the images themselves, at least in that case. Okay. So, so go into that just a little bit deeper, Alex. So, so you recommend not having all your images in the cloud and having them local, or what? What do you think? Well, I mean, we yeah, we I think we've talked about backup before, but I mean, the the for me, you know, my my, the, my most important images exist in three places. They exist on a RAID that you know, that I'm kind of working off of, um, uh, that I um, you know have on my local computer. Yep. Uh, that just means that Aperture is running as fast as it can run, you know, kind of thing. And then those are vaulted to a Drobo, which is uh, you know, so now I have a a local. Um, piece now i'm just about to install a drobo fs so they'll actually be backed up on a drobo in my house and one in my office where those two are talking to each other yeah so they'll be in actually three places at that point but the last place that the most important images that i do are kept are online you know so that i put them um you know i'm usually i'm actually using uh for the most important images that i have like because there's not that many of them um, the, the real the real ones that i'm keeping uh, i'm keeping mostly on my dot mac account because i just have it's easy in, in aperture to sit there and just go you know post those up full full res yeah and um so they're kind of all integrated um with my dot mac account and so um it's just somewhere else you know so that the idea is that if i lose them in all th- four of those places um i'm i'm guessing that i'm not worried about my photos anymore i'm worried about you know thermonuclear war yeah. <laughs> i mean it's like you know it's it, it, so but the point is is that those are you know i don't keep every photo that way i mean i just take too many photos to do that but i but i definitely the ones that i'm that are my my key photos um uh, i keep all of my photos on the drobos in two different locations um and then on my raid so i have three copies of everything um, and, and that's a pr- fairly secure. I mean, it, it would take a lot to have those go down. Um, and then I have, but the cloud is for the stuff that I just would really be sick to my stomach if I, if I lost, you yeah. know? And so, um, and so to me, that's how you, you know, make sure that you're not losing those, those key photos, whether they're family or business or whatever you're doing. Yeah. Now, Rick, Rick, you, you probably have a mountain of images, I'm sure. Where, <laughs> yeah. Well, where? same as Alex. I, I'm not on the cloud yet, but I, I guess I'm, I'm going to be going there. But, yeah, I have a Drobo on my desk here. I have a Drobo in the house, and I have a bunch of other hard drives in another part of my office here. So, yeah, for the personal loss of stuff, you know, Juan and I talk about this, you know, all the time. Even when you're on site, even when you're on site shooting in Pago Pago or Lake Paikala or wherever, you really have to have your pictures in two places. You know, I store them on my, on my laptop. Top, and I usually actually have either one or two little portable 500 gigabyte uh, G drives with me. And if I go out for the night and leave my all my stuff in the room, I'm going to have that that little portable hard drive with me because if you know my door's left open or something like that, or uh, someone goes into the wrong room, you know, and walks out with something that doesn't belong to them, I'm always going to have the pictures with me. So I'm I'm just such a huge believer in like Alex and everyone else uh you know on the show here today. Yeah, exactly. we don't leave it we don't leave any site without without two copies. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. What about what one have you ever lost images? I have. Um but today what I do is actually very similar to what Alex says. I have 
two Drobos that I have at home that, uh, you know, I have the live Drobo that I use and then one that I do backup. <laughs> by, the, by the way, uh, just as an aside to our listeners, uh, uh, Drobo is not a sponsor <laughs> of the Swing of Photography. They are That's not. It may sound like we've dropped into an ad and not told you, but uh, yes, no, we just yeah. happen to have a bunch of Drobos. And nor does Frederick work there anymore. So, yeah. Right, right. No, but but they're, they're, they're great little machines. You know, I used to, uh, I used to manage large installations of um, storage systems, you know, Storage systems would cost over a million dollars, and I'm just blown away by how this little Drobo thing that costs, you know, less than a thousand bucks does a lot more than some of those big honking machines that I used to install yeah. that were a million dollars each. Um, so, but the, the other thing that I do, which is a little different than what Alex does, is I take uh, backups of my backup Drobo and store those offsite, and I do those on bare hard drives, and I don't, I do that kind of on a manual basis every so often, and the reason for that is because. Um, I've, the occasion where I've lost things is when I had a completely replicated environment and I stupidly deleted something I shouldn't have deleted. Well, guess what happened when the next replication happened? It just got deleted out of all my backups. Yeah. Um, so being able to do a manual backup every so often and storing that off-site, you know, I can now go back and restore some of those images. Um, so that's sort of my 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 fail my, my last. That's a great. Hand. That is that's a great point, and and, and I, I kind of see what I put on my, in the cloud as kind of that that thing where I'm putting up those images right. that are that are the ones that are most important. And there's no, it's all manual. It's me picking the photos that I want and sending them up. But yeah, it's, it's um, but I definitely agree that that is a uh, a good thing to do. We we do backup. We have it because we just have to clear data. You know, we just can't fit every, all of our data in one place. Right. So we. Um, we, we have two terabyte drives, like chiclet, like the internal, you know, the raw drives. I mean, they literally, they're, when you walk into our office, there's a, there's a, I shouldn't tell people this cause they're going to walk into our office and take our drives. But the, um, <laughs> but there's like, there's like usually like 15, two terabyte drives that are just the bare drives sitting out near the front. Yes. Uh, I've seen those. The little <laughs> sign that just says two terabyte drives and people just walk by and grab them as they need them. And, you know, it's just like, you know, it's like, okay, well, if they get down to five, we buy some more. And, and, um, and so it's uh yeah, you go through a lot of that data, but you know, that's another way to. You know, as far as raw backup of of just sheer mass, I mean, awesome. I, I I I swear that these things breed on their own. I come back to my desk after being gone for a day, and I think I swear that the drive the drives had bred themselves and multiplied <laughs> when I was gone. I bought I, I bought a hundred I bought a hundred and fifty uh, drive cases, um, and uh, and I came in and I saw all these bare drives with with labels still in their bags. I was like, when are we going to put them in the drive cases? And they were like, uh, yeah, we have. We just need more. Wow. We ran out. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, you you you, fe- you go rewind back what fifteen years, Alex? How much would all that storage have cost you back then? I, I don't want to think about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. It would have cost more than than any piece of gear that we have. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. It's great, but insane. All right, guys. Before we move on, I uh, just want to a quick note to the listeners. Uh, this week in photos, looking for folks to help us uh, create content for the site so if you're interested in writing for this week in photo just drop us a note um at thisweekinphoto.com slash contribute to learn more about how to uh apply for getting in the fray with us all right uh up next alex we have another sponsor who is it we uh we'd like to thank uh, squarespace uh for sponsoring uh, this week in photography and of course uh, squarespace is just a really fast and easy way if you're a photographer to put up a blog uh you can have you can display your uh, photos from Flickr. you can um you know you can put all this stuff together and it's all WYSIWYG. you don't have to know anything about coding now if you know stuff about coding and css and everything else you ha- you can you can do that you can actually put a lot of that control in there's like three different levels of, of stuff that we we use it for uh within the pixel core uh, i use it for my uh, my little blog called border sack which i don't 
update very often. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it. But, but that's, a, that's a site that if you go to bordersack.com, what you're going to see is, is a site that is um, 100%. There's like no coding. I don't know how to code anything So in HTML. I mean, I know how to write Xcode, but I don't know how to do any HTML stuff. And so, um, and so all it is is using what they have. And I put that together in three or four hours. And uh, uh, just, just dragging things around and putting some textures in, and that was about it. And uh, then the Pixelcore uh, public site is currently on, on Squarespace, and that one required a bunch of CSS and a bunch of other things that we had someone put in. And then the DV Garage site, which is also a Squarespace site, is uh, got e-commerce, and it's got all these other stuff, you know, functionality put into it. And the point is, is that no matter what we're doing, you know, we have all these different things that we can do. You can import stuff from WordPress, Blogger, Movable Type, TypePad, and you can export it as well. You can put it in forums, photo galleries, form builders, Google Maps, um, Flickr, uh, website tracking. There's a website tracker, and the, and the I got to say that the the uh, you know you can really get great data uh, on the back end from Squarespace as well. So it's just a you know it's just a, a great interface. Uh, you can update it from from your iPhone, which is awesome. The iPhone app is awesome uh, yeah. as far as up, updating goes. Uh, which I you know as I say it, I should use it more often. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean I, I just I, I, you know I just don't blog as much as I should. I think about my blog posts a lot. I just don't actually type them. So um so anyway, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that, sounds, that sounds like a that sounds like an idea, Alex. You need to plug in and yeah, let you think an, posts. It's an idea for an app. Right there. <laughs> so anyway, if you want to get a free trial, you can go to squarespace.com slash twip. You don't need a credit card. Uh, you can just go out and build up your own website. you got 14 days for free to see if you like it. Um, once again, uh, go to visit squarespace.com and sign up for their free trial. And that's squarespace.com slash T-W-I-P, squarespace.com slash twip. Awesome. Thanks, Alex. All right. We're at that listener Q&A time. This is uh, the time of the show where um, we dive into the best questions that are that the producers of This Week in Photo have selected from the forums at thisweekinphoto.com slash forum um, for us to answer. And the first one is from a listener by the name of My Name is Hunter. He says he's going to graduate in May and wants to know how to follow in the path of Tyler Ginter, who's <laughs> an Army photographer, or me, to become a military photographer. Um, I guess I'll take that one. You should take that. One. <laughs> well, yeah, why, why don't you take it, Alex? <laughs> so what you do is you ask Fred Rick. What exactly. How how did you how did you end up uh, as a military photographer? That's you know that it was serendipity. Um, I've always been creative. Um, and when I decided when I made the, the call several decades ago to go into the military. Um, I went in and basically you go, you go into a recruiter. Now, let me, let me preface this with Tyler Ginter and I, um, are different. So Tyler is an officer or is slash was and was an officer. I was enlisted. So had, had we been in the military together, he would have been my boss. So <laughs> let's just be clear about that. Um, so he had different options available to him when he went in than I did. So when I went in, um, it was basically you're at a recruiter and you're like, okay, these are the things that I would like to do, Air Force, if you would allow me. But, you know, of course, in the end, it is up to the Air Force and up to what's going on in the world at the time. And that will dictate what you ultimately are doing so if there's a war on you may be there you know or if they're they need a lot of people to lay pavement you may be there <laughs> luckily they needed photographers when i went in and boom i was a photographer and the second stroke of luck was um my first station of duty was in uh, in japan at yakota air force base so not only did i get japan not only did i get a photographer but you know i'm yeah, you know, got the best job in the world, I think. So that's that was my path. Now we'll have Tyler on, and he can he can talk about how he 
what his path was. But, you know, just to summarize it all, it's, you know, if you're going in enlisted, there are no guarantees. If you go to a recruiter and your recruiter says, oh, yeah, you know, bring your golf clubs to basic training, which which <laughs> I, I'm telling you, a guy in my flight in basic training bought, brought his golf clubs because his recruiter told him there is a world-class uh, golf course uh, at the, uh, you know, at, in basic training at Lackland Air Force Base in Texas. Which you're never going to see, son. And he, oh, my God, they have this thing called Shakedown at the beginning when, you know, all these raggedy people in their civilian clothes are kind of standing around in the – and they're yelling at him and tell him how you're a piece of dirt and all this stuff. And here's this guy with his golf clubs. You know? <laughs> that went over really well, I'm sure. Yeah, that did not go over well. So, so I think that, and by the way, from, and, and things may have changed, but I think that the, um, for people who are listening to the show and really thinking about it, um, right now, I think that, and, this, and Frederick's not going to like this, but right now, of, of all the people I've talked to in, different, uh, in the different disciplines, I think the Army, and this is a large portion because of, Tyler <laughs> and people like Tyler is probably one of the most advanced uh, photographic units. Uh, in I mean, it's it is it is amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know the, the, what they're you know what the um, what the army is doing right now. I mean, it's all these five D. It was like because I thought oh they have like ten or fifteen or twenty five Ds. They have like two hundred and some systems or something like that. I mean, yeah. we'll have to have Tyler on and describe it, have him describe it a little bit. But we were talking. We were sp- both speaking at an event in um, Washington D.C. and and I was just blown away. He was doing a break, breakdown of what they're doing there, and it's just it's just unbelievable, you know. And yeah. and they have it all systemized, and and how they're you know grabbing all that data, and it's just it's such an important thing to do uh, in that process, not just from a you know public relations perspective, but really uh, documenting what's going on and and being able to go back and look at that and figure out what makes sense and doesn't. And uh, uh, anyway, it's just um, they they're just doing some incredible work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, no, go ahead. You know, this is also, you know, not only are they doing incredible work, <clears throat> but imagine the toll it takes on these military photographers emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like what they're seeing. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They see things that you will, you know, you'll never no, see, right? <laughs> so. Well, it's, 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 uh, yeah, it, I couldn't imagine like being in a war and seeing this. You know, if our listeners want to do a, a search, do a search on photographer haunted by the horror of his work. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is, um, it's very moving. I'm looking at it and getting a little choked up here. But I'll read the caption for this photograph. It says, This photograph showing the starving Sudanese child being stalked by a vulture won Kevin Carter mm-hmm. the 1994 Pulitzer Prize for feature photography. Guess what Kevin Carter did? He committed suicide. He killed himself. Wow. Because of this. I mean, he saw so much. So military photographers see all this stuff, and it's serious stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a serious topic. So, you know, definitely to My Name is Hunter, if you, you want to get into it, definitely do your research. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would suggest if you, you know, have a lot offline or off-podcast conversation about it, post a, a topic in the This Week in Photo forums, and I'm sure Tyler will, and I will definitely uh, get in there and respond to you in depth. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a... Uh, you know, there's good and bad in everything, right? Yeah. So, yeah. and uh, photography is not—it's not all taking macro shots of of right. bum- bumblebees <laughs> pollinating right. flowers. You know, so it just depends on what you're up for. I, I have to admit, I, knowing now what they're what what's being done there, I, I would have been very tempted when I was a kid to um, to enlist to do, and then hope that someday I'd just perform well enough that they'd let me play. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, I I no regrets from this side. It's the best job. I think I had the best job in the world. So. Yeah. And it's the gift that keeps on giving because look at me now. I'm still, you know, still talking about photography. 
All right, question number two, Mr. Salmon. I'm going to throw this one to you because, you know, I consider you, of all of us, uh, the uh, the uh, resident educator, if you will. <laughs> so, having, what, 950 printed books out in the world right now? And 654. Yeah. <laughs> He's published four since we started. Exactly. You wrote, <laughs> yeah, you've written one since we've been podcasting, right? Yes. <laughs> So this one's from Christian. I'll read it to you. This is Christian from Montreal. He's an amateur photographer who's been using Photoshop elements to organize and edit his pictures. He wants to know if he would gain any advantage in also having Lightroom. In other words, does it bring anything to the table that elements doesn't have? And do these programs complement each other? Well, they do. Uh, but I think once he got uh, – Christian, it's a guy, right? Um, yeah. I guess so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, once he got it Lightroom, I think he would just be sticking with Lightroom. Yes, it costs uh, what two hundred bucks now. Elements is under a uh, hundred bucks. I mean, just the organizing capabilities and all the editing, the noise reduction, like we were talking about before with the lenses, if for no other reason, and the speed. <laughs> you know, I have yeah. Elements on my computer here, and you know, I click it, and it's loading, it's loading, and you know, the speed and the quality and all the other added features of Lightroom. I, I don't think you'd ever go back. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Now, Rick, uh, just on that same topic, have you played around with any of the like the the online or like cheap versions? Not cheap, or you know, just uh, inexpensive versions of like these Photoshop clones, like Pixelmator or anything like that, or GIMP. No, I haven't. But my fr- my uh, my neighbor here uh, uses those, and you know they're fun. But like you said, you know. You know, you don't want to use the word cheap, but, you know, they're yeah. fun. But I think if you're serious about your pictures, and I think everyone listening to the program here is serious. I think, you know, people always ask, you know, when Juan and I walk around, for example, hey, what do you guys recommend? You know, if you're just getting in, in, into it, Lightroom. However, I'm still using Photoshop uh, CS5 more than Lightroom because I've just been using it forever and love yeah. it. Muscle memory like Juan says, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Juan, what about you? What's uh what's what's on your your computer right now for image processing and digital asset management? Well, I'm definitely definitely a Lightroom guy. I've been using Lightroom since it first came out and I rely on it every single day. I used to do a lot of Photoshop before, but you know, I use Photoshop so little nowadays because I do every you know, most of the work that I do, I want to capture right in camera, so the tweaking that I do is very minimal. So Lightroom does, you know, Ninety-eight percent, ninety-nine percent of what I need to do for that one percent that I jump into Photoshop. You know, sometimes I sort of you know question myself whether I'm going to upgrade to the next CX CS twenty when it comes out, whatever. You know, every every year when the new upgrade comes out. Um, but you know, to address the Pixelmator stuff that you were talking about, the sort of the alternative editors, some of those are actually pretty sophisticated. Hmm. But the biggest problem that I found is if you're trying to figure out how to do something in them, you 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 you'll, It'll you'll be hard pressed to find that information online in yeah. a lot of cases. The community, whereas yeah. the community is not there like it is for Photoshop. If you want to find out how to do, I mean, anything in Photoshop, I mean, the problem you have way too many options, way too many tutorials to look at, right? About how to do any single little thing. A lot of times for these other programs, you you will run into issues as to how, you know how do you do the most basic stuff just because the community is not there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Great answers. All right. Question number three is from Brad Lentz. And I know, Alex, you are the uh, you're the king of trying to do these these time lapses and all that stuff. You want to you want to take this one? Sure. Brad Lentz from Sydney uh, has been experimenting with time lapses lately, trying to shoot an ice cube melting over a half hour period in a hot day, having the camera fire every five seconds. He says it seemed to work well until about the 10 minute mark. When the photos began to get darker and then 15-minute mark, the screen was all black. 
Is this due to the sensor heating up? Uh, if, if so, would it work better to uh, be in cooler settings uh, or is it just because the shutter is uh, firing so often? I, you know, I think what we would need to know there is what kind of camera Brad is using because, um, you know, we have, uh, I've shot for hours and hours and hours with um, many different cameras as far as time lapse goes. The primary ones we've used are SLRs with controllers, um, either a pro mode or one of the Canon controller uh, mounts. Or uh, my kind of handy cam that I use for a lot of time lapse is a uh, Rico. I've talked about in the past Rico R10, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, I don't know if it's I don't know if the U.S. version is called an R10. The Japanese version is because that's where I picked it up. But I got three of those that we shoot different angles sometimes when we're putting stuff together, and um, and I shoot those every five seconds and um, for hours. The biggest problem I have is they you know the battery goes dead. <laughs> you know that's the I mean that, that's the you know after two and a half or three hours the battery will will um, discharge. So sometimes I will. Uh, shoot lower resolution and do other things to try to keep the battery going. But that's the, uh, um, so battery life has been the number one issue for me, but not over 10 minutes. Um, that, that seems very, very odd, um, that it would, I think, you know, that's a, but without knowing exactly what the brand is, it's hard to tell. It should be fine. Um, over a half an hour that, 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 that should not be an issue, uh, for it to fire those images, but it's hard to say without knowing what, what, uh, brand of camera. Yeah. yeah I agree with Alex. I do a lot of time lapses and, um, 10 minutes just doesn't seem right. I actually looked at the forum where the question came from, and he's using an, an XTI. But it's, I mean, there must have been something wrong because I've used, like like you, Alex, I've done yeah. you know eight-hour time lapses in the middle of the day. No problem at all. Right, um, and, the XT, and the XTI does heat up faster than the 7D and 5D, a lot faster. Um, oh, and so, okay. uh, but I, I, I know that in constant shooting, uh, like if we're shooting right. video, video right. with it, um, that we've had issues where it wants to stop recording at 10 or 15 minutes. So that could be, you know, something related to the, to the XDI. Um, we, uh, we were looking at getting some of those, and then what, we had heat issues um, specifically with the sensor um, in, in Africa doing some tests. And so um, uh, we were testing one of them, and, and, but it was around video. Now that could, now that you say that isn't the one camera that I've had an issue with with heat has been the XDI, but it, it didn't fade slowly to black. It just stopped taking pictures. The other thing is, is to make sure that you're on all the manual settings because, you know, maybe the lighting is just changing, you know, and, and that's another thing. To, I mean, I know, I know that seems like a simple thing um, like that, you know, that, that shouldn't be the issue, but, um, but oftentimes, you know, that's the other thing you have to pay attention with light, with uh, time lapses, whether you want it to change with the lighting or whether you don't want it to change with the lighting. Because sometimes you do. Now, he's talking about the sensor heating up. You know, when the batteries get lower, they give off some heat. I saw in one of my cameras, this was maybe about eight years ago, where I was getting a weird color on my sensor. So I checked it out, and I talked to a couple of people, and it was because the battery was actually getting so hot. So I don't think that's related to what he's saying, but, you know, this... This is just something to think about. So my advice to uh, anyone trying to do this, definitely don't leave home without a fully charged battery. Yeah. And watch I your battery power. Uh, when you're going out and shooting, don't leave home. If you're, <laughs> if you're serious about it, don't leave home without three fully charged right. batteries. Uh, totally <laughs> agree. And, and a charger. <laughs> I'm, yeah. seeing, I'm seeing a reoccurring number with you, Alex. Three. Like, three <laughs> backups, three batteries, yeah. three bodies. Uh-huh. Yeah. Three. 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 It's, a, it's a magic number. Yes, it is. <laughs> There's, I think there's a Sesame Street uh, <laughs> Yes, there is. All right. All right, guys. We're at the time of the show where each guest gives their pick of the week. And remember, a pick can be software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever you want to talk about as long as it's photography related. Juan, I'm going to kick it off with you since you're the, uh, you're the, it's your first time on This Week in Photo. What's your pick? 
Well, my pick would be the panel elements package from Really Right Stuff. I've recently picked one of these up. I've been looking at them for, for a long time. And what the panel uh, elements package is is a base that uh, uh, you can put on your on your tripod itself or on the, um, the top of your ball head and allows for really easy panning when you're taking those panoramic photos. It also comes with a slider that you can put on top to actually get the right um, a nodal point on the particular lens you may be using hmm. um, so that you can actually do close-up uh, panels and still have those elements line up correctly. Um, it's a little expensive, but the stuff from re- really right stuff makes some of the best accessories, uh, photo accessories on the planet. Very cool. Thanks for that. All right. Mr. Salmon, what is your pick? Yes, uh, the Arctic Butterfly. From Visible Dust, it's a sensor cleaning device. It's like a little brush that you turn it on. It has a battery in it. spins this little brush around so it gets charged. And uh, Frederick's typing that right now. Sorry, Frederick. <laughs> I should have given you the link before. It's the Arctic Butterfly, B-U-T-T. No, I'm only kidding. From, a vis- from Visible Dust. But it's, it's really, a, you know, all, all these cameras today uh, have built-in sensor cleaning devices. But, you know, they don't get all this stuff off. And I don't personally like to put the liquid, you know, on the swab and put it across. So I find the, uh, the Visible Dust. Dust, uh, Arctic Butterfly is cool. Very cool. And that's what's in your bag. Hey, Rick, on your site, do you have like a, a tour of what's in your bag? I'd love to see what's inside Rick Salmon's camera bag. Actually, I do. If you just go to my site and go uh, visit with Rick, it's right there. Very cool. All it's right. ricksalmon.info. I change it from .com to .info because I'm all about info. Oh, look at that. Very cool. All right. Alex Lindsay, what's in uh, – I was going to say what's in your bag. What's your big what's your I, I don't think week? I ever did my bag tour. I, I haven't done mine either. I need to do that. Yeah, yeah we get, we'll have to get together and then we'll – well, I'll do yours, and then you can do my bag. I, I would like mine professionally <laughs> shot by Pixel Core horsepower. I don't there, wanna, you you know, there you go. I, I want like shallow depth of field and all that stuff. We'll do it. All we'll right. do it. All right. Uh, I'm going to suggest a book, actually. I don't do books very often. Um, but uh, I, uh, I was looking through my library because I was thinking about lighting. And um, there's just a great book with lots of pictures. And for me, you'll find that... Pictures are kind of important to me. I don't read very much. So um, uh, the uh, it's called Light, Science, and Magic, an Introduction to Photographic Lighting. So if you're thinking about it and you just want to get your head around um, lighting, uh, I find this to be just a great kind of basic uh, way of thinking about lighting objects and products and people and uh, really talking, going through a lot of the the issues that you have, especially with product photography. Um, I actually bought this book for 3D because it was just, you know, you, you think about it in the same way where I'm going to put lights and so on and so forth. And it was very useful when I, you know, as I, as I went through it. And I think that um, I was just recommending someone asking for a good book on lighting. And there's a lot of good ones, but I think this is a great one. It's just kind of an overall view of, of um, you know, understanding uh, the basics of lighting. So it's, um, it's by, uh, it's, it is a focal press. Uh, it's Phil Hunter. Uh, Stephen Biver, Biber, and uh, Paul Fuqua, and uh, it's called Light, uh, Science, and Magic. Very cool. All right. We'll have to check that out. All right. And my pick, you know, I, I'm heeding my, my instructions uh, that the pick can be anything. <laughs> so my pick is a cool video that I found. Actually, it's, it comes to us from uh, the folks over at Petapixel. Um, and Alex, you can appreciate this because I know you love this kind of thing. But it's a video. All I saw was flamethrower, and I was I was <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> yeah. I, was with you. I was with you on flamethrower. Well, well, he's, mili- he's a military photographer. Right? You know, so. I love it. I love it. You got to see this. It's a video. It's very well done. Um, of a video. These guys basically, it's a video versus a flamethrower at shot at one thousand frames per second. So. 
if that doesn't get you to click through, nothing will. So you gotta you gotta check out this video, Alex. I know you like this kind of stuff. What do you think about the the just the quality and how the video was shot? Because I was looking at this, I was like, this could be Alex in here. Yeah, no, I was like, <laughs> I you know I've been talking to. Uh, I have been talking to the uh, the guys at uh, for the Phantom camera about yeah. getting a you know about getting a Phantom camera um, for testing, and uh, and I every when I saw this I was like I really need to get that <laughs> soon, you know, um, it, you know it's just a, it's it's you know uh, just amazing, yeah. you know and 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 really really high quality it's just really changed. Uh, there's so much you can do. I mean, there's something about slow. The two. I think that there's actually something about both really, really slow motion and time lapse that oftentimes exposes, you know, reality in a, in a way that you just can't see in real time. You know, either you're taking a whole bunch of of stuff and, and squeezing it down into a very short period of time, or you're taking a very short period and, and stretching it back out. And um, so I find both both directions to be just um, mesmerizing. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's something about that. Tyler, again, you know, the, Tyler's a common theme in the show, but Tyler is all about that, uh, you know, time lapse and all that sort of magic stuff. He's put, yeah. definitely pushing the envelope. There. Well, we shot, we shot it. We, sh- we just shot some time lapse. Um, uh, we, we went, the guys went a little crazy. We were doing something for salesforce.com. And um, I think that it's out, it's now on their uh, front page. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Um, if you go up to uh, salesforce.com slash dreamforce mm-hmm. um, slash df11, or if, I think if you just Google dreamforce, you'll, it'll be the first thing. It's dreamforce11. The music, I will say, uh, we were able to use one type of music for the actual, uh, during the event, we shot this uh, at the last dreamforce. And um, uh, and then we weren't allowed to use the music for the web. <laughs> so oh, no. so if, if you're complaining about the music, it was like, well, we have to switch it to something. So. Yeah. Um, so don't don't you can turn down the volume a little bit because it's not it's just okay. You feel like it's not uh, what I it's not what I wanted. Yeah. yeah, but what you'll see is what really made this um, this video was the time lapse, and uh, we were using the time lapse on a program. Uh, uh, we were doing time lapse on uh, with a um, programmable slider, and uh, so the sli- it's called the slider, and you actually set the camera in one place and then set it over somewhere else, and then you say, okay, I just want you to go over there over a certain period of time. And uh, so we were, we were running it, and uh, Brent By, my brother Joe, uh, did a lot of the time lapse. And it really is what made it added a lot of production value to a um, to this uh, to the video. So, um, and we you know we had to put we put the whole video together in a day. So, um, uh, and so it really uh, was you know there's lots of little places that we used a lot of time lapse with people, and there's and you'll just see these great things where it's sliding slowly and. And doing the time lapse at the same time, which turns out to be much more complicated than we thought it would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but something to check out if you're looking at time lapse. Very cool. All right. Thanks, Alex. All right, guys. We are at the end of the show. This went by really, really quickly. Juan, where can uh, people find you online? Well, the best place to find me is at my website at juanpons.org. That's J-U-A-N-P-O-N-S dot O-R-G. Okay. Very cool. And Mr. Salmon, where are you at online? Yep. RickSalmon.info. Cool. And Alex, of course, we know where you are, but say mm. it anyway. I'm on the Twitters. <laughs> on the all Twitters. of them. I'm on the Twitters. It's uh, all Alex, all one word. 
That's awesome. All right, cool. And if you'd like to keep up everything in the This Week in Photo universe, head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter page, and more. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash frederickvan. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. The show's content contributor is Eric Horton.